Welcome to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan. Each week, we explore the way beliefs shape our world, our politics, and our culture. How can we learn to be brave when we find ourselves in challenging moments? It's the question Marianne Edgar Buddy tackles in a new book, released to coincide with the third anniversary of the day former President Trump used military troops to clear the streets so he could walk a few steps from the White House to the historic St. John's Episcopal Church in Lafayette Square for a photo op. Moments before, tear gas and rubber bullets were used by military and law enforcement to clear the area filled with peaceful protesters who had gathered by the tens of thousands calling for justice after George Floyd's murder by Minneapolis police. In that moment, Buddy had to draw on reserves of courage she didn't know she had to confront what she saw as the president's usurping of spiritual authority. This is an excruciating moment, a crisis moment in our country where we need healing, where we need reconciliation, and we need justice. Um, And the president, um, after clearing with tear gas and riot-geared police the the park and the courtyard of our church, stood in front of St. John's and held up a Bible as if it were spiritual validation and justification for a message that is antithetical to the teachings of Jesus and to the God of justice. I spoke with Buddy from her offices at the Episcopal Diocese in Washington, D.C. Right Reverend Marianne Edgar Buddy, thank you so much for joining me on Inspired by Interfaith Voices. It is a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. You decided to write a book um, about bravery. You speak to this question of how to be brave in the world without speaking to the tremendous fear so many are experiencing and this, for many, a desire to recede, to not engage in the difficult conversations in the discomfort. And you wrote this book, not just for Christians. I I will say, and I'm not, Mm -hmm. as I told you and listeners know, Mm -hmm. I'm not of the same tradition. I I wasn't raised as a Christian. So, but I found the book really, really powerful. Why do you feel this is the book you had to write now? Mm, Thank you. Well, the title, for me, the operative words are learning to be brave, right? That it's a learning process and that life presents us with moments. And I, I call them decisive moments. Those moments in life when we are conscious, we are aware that something is either happening, is possible, is a is beckoning or summoning us and we are being invited to respond and how we respond in that moment is a lesson in courage right it is an invitation to courage and there one the reason i wrote the book is that i i was i was given the opportunity because of the events that brought me into uh, momentary public life back in 2020, in the summer of 2020, which was about as emotionally charged a summer as this country has experienced, certainly in my lifetime. 
the um, the 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 coming together of the global pandemic, the uh, series of raci- racially charged murders at the hands of either vigilante citizens or or police officers, culminating in the murder of George Floyd, our president at the time responding with. Um, what I would only consider uh, just responses that in, it increased the tension as opposed to trying to mitigate and to bring us together. And I responded to that in a way that um, became part of the news cycle for about a week and a half. And it was when the former president had uh, promised to, he had a speech in the Rose Garden where he basically said he would, he threatened to use armed forces against peaceful protesters across the country. And there were protests all across the country. And then in that very moment, um, the order was given to forcibly clear Lafayette Park outside the, White, outside the White House, which is also adjacent to one of our churches, so that the president and his entourage could walk across the park, stand in front of St. John's Episcopal Church while he held up a Bible and took a picture with his all of his military and governmental people surrounding him. And um, I objected. And I objected because he had, he was assuming the mantle of a spiritual authority using a Bible, sacred text, standing in front of one of our churches as if that were a justification for his response to that critical moment in our country. And because I responded when I did, which was just a fluke of the moment, I call it a stepping up to the plate moment and that there was just no warning. It just presented itself um, and because of the sort of the eyes of the country were on that moment, um, that part, my response for a short period of time became part of the story. So people were making a lot of assumptions about how brave I was in that moment. And I had to ask myself, was that, what, what, what about that was brave for me, right? Was that actually a brave moment or was I on autopilot? Who else was being brave? Was I simply taking my, I mean, I was taking my place among people who were being a lot more courageous than I was. And what did that all have to say about what, how you learn to be brave? Um, and I, I wanted to, I wanted to extend the camera lens and say, let's talk about those moments. Let's reflect on how they come to us. Very few of them are public in that way. Most are private. Some are known only to us and to our God. Others in, in, influence our families or set our lives on a particular course. Others are the result of tragedy that come to us and we have to decide how we're going to respond. I'm going to read something too that you wrote. Okay. You wrote, stepping up to the plate when you aren't ready is the price Mm -hmm. of beginning. It's what you do most time and again when moving towards something important and becoming the person who is able to do or accomplish what is currently beyond your ability. You show up take your place. Step up to the plate and swing and miss and miss and miss until one day you make contact. Thank you. I love that because I think we live right now in a time in which so much of everything we do is documented and focused (laughs) and scrutinized. And we have in the back of our minds an awareness of the scrutiny and our fallibility. What was so striking to me was your recognizing the challenge of you getting in front of that microphone was far different than the young person who was skipping school, missing work, or risking being pepper sprayed or hit by a baton 
or arrested for standing up in civil disobedience to cry out in pain and call for justice for the murder of George Floyd. And also to be careful not to assume that the most important thing about my leadership was that moment, right? Because the most important thing about my leadership is how moments like that inform how I live my life going forward, right? When the microphones aren't in my face and, and, um, and that it's, and the adrenaline is gone. Um, what's it like in 2023 to be working in the field of, or in the work of racial justice? It's very different, right? That the pendulum has swung and it's not, you know, there's, it's just, it's a very different world. Am I giving up now? Because do you know what I mean? Like there's just a, Oh, I know exactly what you mean. There's this thing called Twitter and Facebook right? and, so, and Instagram and social media, you know, and we just move on. So yes, there were people who who are putting far more on the line in that moment, but at the same time, recognizing and recognizing that, okay, this is where I am right now. You're not using the word power. You also had power that someone in the street didn't have. Talk about your power. I did. I had, I had power in that moment and I had to decide how I was going to use it. So in that moment that you described when we were setting up a press conference, so other religious leaders could do their bit and I was going to say my part. And we basically, dis- the, the media displaced a whole bunch of people who were protesting that day on the street. It was a very hot June day. And they set up the cameras and the lights and the microphones. And this young person just said to me, would you sit down and shut up? Right? And I looked down at him and I thought, he's absolutely right. So I sat down. right? Because then I just listened. And he was not at all impressed. He just thought... You and your, so I, and I wasn't, it's like, I wanted to use my voice whenever I could in the environments that I could, right? So I did. I, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't on Interfaith Voices because I tried to get on every single show I could, (laughs) right? Right. I did, right. I did. did. But I also knew it was a short-lived thing. I knew it wasn't going to last. These these things last for about three or four days and then they're gone. So I thought, okay, I'm going to ride this wave and then I'm going to be thankful that it happened, grateful that it's over get the adrenaline out of my system and go back to my day job, right? Which is to do the hard work of justice and community building and lifting people up. And, you know, that's, that's my work. Um, But in that particular moment, I also wanted those young people to know that I thought what they were doing was actually the, the brave thing. Right. And um, I don't know if I communicated that to them or not. They were pretty disgusted with all of it at the time. So in that moment, I wanted them to know that, I was embarrassed to be the one grabbing all the attention Mm. when, in fact, they were the heroes. It's a complicated situation for Mm. someone who wants to center and empower those who are on the forefront. I could hear you wrestling with that and trying to sort and and inspire, I think, a certain reader, you know, who's out there wondering what it means to not have the power that you have. I feel like the most important chapter for people who are significantly younger than me in the book is the one about deciding to start and to recognize that God does place within many people a dream or a vision of what their life could be or the contribution they can make. And the 
but that getting from where we are now to what that destination is, is a long and winding and complicated role, road, right? But if we don't start toward it and keep moving toward it, we will never reach that destiny. And so to aspire to a position of influence or power, however you define it, of change agent is wonderful, but also to recognize that it's a long road to get there, to get what, it, and, it, and, it, and it's fleeting, but, but it's also like, just start moving and exercise the influence that you're given at, at whatever place you're, you're in and learn what you need to learn to get to where you feel you want to be. You believe deeply, and I'm not saying you don't, that people feel a calling, that they, ha- they, mm-hmm. that they, they feel that. Being able to hear that and and knowing it, it sounds like a blessing the way you're describing it. But for somebody and for, for a lot of young people who don't believe that there is something greater, they don't believe that there is something greater. Yeah, I hear that. Um, Walter Brueggemann said that one of the great tragedies of the modern era is what he called a heresy, that you can live an uncalled life, right? That it's possible to live an uncalled life. Mm-hmm. And um, so to say that in, in, in non-religious terms is to say what a tragedy it is and what a, what a deprivation of the human experience, not to feel that sense of movement toward um, a larger vision or a larger goal. It doesn't have to be religious. It can be an artistic one. It can be a, um, one of physical capacity. I could be one of learning, but that sense of being drawn outside of ourselves, excuse me, drawn outside of ourselves into a realm where we are on a journey of discovery and of contribution that is iterative. Like we're being, we're being changed and we're growing as we are expanding our understanding or our experience or capacities. You know, I really appreciate you putting that in terms that are perhaps accessible to someone who doesn't necessarily um, subscribe yeah. to or believe in uh, the, a divine uh, calling. So, I, but there's another part of this conversation in the book about lessons learned when we step up and fall down. Right. Right. Um. You said a third and perhaps the most affirming, the most faith affirming way we experience the call to step up is when we are feeling mired in the complexity and contradictions of our lives to be summoned out of the quagmire of self-absorption to do something brave and good in a completely different sphere is sheer grace. Well, and I'm reading along too. And then the last sentence is, it's a relief to think about something else, mm-hmm. right? And and that's my experience. And I have to say, it gives me faith. It, it, it reassures me that God is still with me, even when I feel least worthy of anything worthy of God, where I, like I said, I'm in that quagmire. I'm spiraling down, right? And then someone calls me up and says, hey, can you help me do such and such? Or... Um, one of my kids calls me and we have a half an hour conversation and I feel like I could step out of myself and just be truly present to him. And it doesn't change anything about the complexities and the contradictions of my life. But for that day or for that moment, I was lifted out of it and was able to do something of meaning for someone else. And that's, that's so liberating. 
My guest is Marianne Edgar Buddy, author of the new book, How We Learn to Be Brave, Decisive Moments in Life and Faith. When we come back, Bishop Buddy tells me how she went from an evangelical teenager to one of the most powerful women in the Episcopal Church. Stay with us. You're listening to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. 